The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... And the other thing I didn't think about was my blood sugar meter when I was out there. Where It was in a little case, and it, I had it under my jacket, but it wasn't right against my skin. And so then when I go to test my blood sugar, it wouldn't work because it was too cold. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulon podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to another episode of the Insulone Podcast with myself, Owen. Thank you for joining us. I am always extremely grateful for your time because I know that our time is very valuable. So I'm hoping that you'll get a lot from this episode. I hope that you have gotten a lot from the episode so far. I know I do. And that's why I love always having guests on. Anytime we have a guest on this podcast, the experiences that they share, the insights that they offer, and the unbelievable content to their own story consistently leaves me personally feeling more confident and more knowledgeable around <clears throat> diabetes as a whole. I was wondering, would I, would I be able to do the intro without a voice crack? Obviously not. Anyway, the guest that I have on today is Brian Gardner. He's from the US. He has been living with type 1 diabetes for over 30 years, and he has had to manage his condition in an environment that not many of us will experience in our life. So he's done three separate tours to the South Pole, the Antarctica. And as you can imagine, the temperatures and the overall environment, again, would be very different to what we might be used to ourselves in our lives. So very interesting story. Again, offers a lot of valuable content, knows his stuff, knows his diabetes. So I know you're going to get a lot from this episode. So here is Brian Gardner. But Brian, obviously the reason that I'm so intrigued by you and I want to pick your brain about a couple of things is the fact that you spent time in the South Pole, in Antarctica, which is obviously a completely different environment to where I am right now in Ireland, where you are right now in the States. And 
I'd love to just know more about your experience there. Why why did you originally go to Antarctica? Yeah, so I worked for a government contractor and uh, we did support for the National Science Foundation, who does a lot of scientific work down in Antarctica. And I was a health and safety manager when I go down there. And my main base I was located at was McMurdo Station. It's the largest base out of any of the countries in Antarctica. And uh, in the summer, I think it maxes out at about a thousand people. And then the winter goes way down. And our company, what we do for uh, the National Science Foundation was just all the logistics. We would do heavy construction, building different structures people would live in and uh, scientific structures. We do uh, heavy equipment moving around snow or uh, building roads. They, we'd build a big ice runway out on the ice sheet outside of it. And um, a lot of other things going down there. And it was just a crazy, hectic, fast-paced environment during the summer. And the summer was between October to February every year. And so I would go down. Um, a friend of mine already had worked there, and he kept telling me, Brian, you got to go down. It's awesome. You, you'll, you'll love it down there. And so I got a job, went down there, and uh, yeah, it was an adventure. And so I would spend about four months a year down there, and I'd be based in McMurdo. And then I also helped support the South Pole Station. And it was a smaller group of people down in the South Pole, and I would uh, help manage uh, the health and safety person down the South Pole. So I'd go down there about once a year as well. And uh, give support to them and also kind of be able to give me a chance to look around and have a little bit of adventure there too as well. So that was kind of what got me down there. And I, I went down uh, on three different deployments to Antarctica. And then the rest of the year I'd be in our home base back in the States. So you were there three times in total. And how did you prepare the first time around? Because in my head, obviously, as, as another diabetic, I'm thinking anytime I leave the house, I'm like phone, keys, wallet, insulin, blood monitor, something for low blood sugar. I can yeah. only imagine what you needed to prepare for going down to the South Pole. What was what was in your bag, essentially, for your diabetes? Uh, uh, just I, I think I packed probably six months worth of supplies when I went down there. So uh, I had plenty to, to last me so I wouldn't run out. And, uh, you know, it was just, I had to be flexible because I didn't know what the heck to expect when I went down there. And especially the first time you go down, you're just completely disoriented. There's everything's new. It's all crazy and just have to be ready to just handle whatever happens, you know? And so I had lots of insulin, lots of test strips, lots of syringes I brought. I remember going through international security with my bags and I had like six months worth of syringes. And I thought, <laughs> in my carry-on, you know, I'm thinking, what yeah. the heck are they going to give me? But nobody ever Somebody said asking questions. Kind of funny. <laughs> and, uh, and then once you get down there, like, just have to be ready. That there's going to be blood sugar swings because everything's unknown. It, there's, it's hard to get on a, a schedule, especially at first. And, uh, you know, just, just be ready. It's, it's not a big deal if you already know it's going to happen. And, uh, just have everything, you know, I had everything I needed. I had plenty of uh, supplies to take care of either highs or lows. And 
uh, tried to figure it out and eventually got into more of a schedule where I could control it. But, you know, as long as I have enough supplies, I feel like I can really go anywhere and deal with anything at that point. Yeah, and that's the good thing about it. And I always try and emphasize, of course, if we have a certain routine, it can definitely make life easier. It can make bloods in a way more predictable, easier to manage. But it's important that we don't rely on that routine to manage our bloods. So I'm yeah. guessing your routine at home compared to your initial routine down the South Pole was very different. So how was that adjustment and how did your diabetes management in general change from when you were at home to when you went down to Antarctica? Yeah, so like part of it is easy to be on the schedule down there because you work six or seven days a week and it's kind of the same schedule of time when you wake up, when you eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, because we have a cafeteria that's only open at certain times of the day. So it's just a new routine than at home, but then eventually get used to that. I think part of the challenge also, though, was with our cafeteria, uh, I didn't blame the, the workers there, but because they just, they could only cook what they had, but a lot of times the food was really bad. It was just <laughs> high quality on certain days and then really bad quality on other days. So when I go to a meal, I didn't always know what I was going to eat or how much I was going to eat. Because some days I'd, I'd love it and I eat a lot. And other days I'd just be like, I don't want to eat anything here. So like, it was hard to do like a, a pre-meal bolus or anything like that. I'd have to just bring my insulin with me and then get a plate of food and then uh, take my insulin off what I saw. So you could partly be on a schedule and then partly always have to be ready to change on the fly. You know, And I think life is, is that way anyways with diabetes. You, you, you can't keep your life on a really tight schedule all the time. You just have to be willing to... to uh, change when you need to but yeah it was also good though I, being able to have set times of when i would eat you know so i could still stay on that type of a schedule hmm. so your the time that you were eating was generally the same but yeah. what you were eating was going to change um, yep. since since you pointed it out i'm very curious to know what were the bad meals that you were eating when <laughs> you said you said yeah. some were high quality some weren't so high quality yeah, so the thing is, a lot of times there's either really limited or no fresh food at all. It, it, a lot of it is just either meat that's been frozen for a long time or it's been in a can. Uh, occasionally, there will be a lot of fresh food that comes out on a flight and everyone just kind of goes crazy over it. <laughs> but then a, a couple of weeks later, there's nothing fresh, you know, and a lot of times the, the meat would just be like really bland or tasteless and uh, you could tell it'd probably been freezer burned after being frozen for a year or whatever. And um, some things they're really good at making like desserts and bread, but that's never good for a diabetic. That could mess your blood sugars up a lot. Mm. Uh, it, you know, it, it was just kind of normal cafeteria food and you just had to take what you got. Okay. Make the, yeah, make the most of what's there in front of you. Yep. I suppose if you're, if you're down in the South Pole, you can't be too picky. Yep. So what sort of tech did you have? Because I'm I'm trying to picture you down there checking your blood sugars, taking your insulin. Yeah. Were you using insulin pens? Were you using finger pricks or a CGM or an insulin pump? What what sort of tech did you use while you were yeah. there? At that time when I went down, I didn't have any of the modern stuff. So I didn't have a CGM. I was just testing my blood sugar with a, a meter every day. Um, 
multiple times every day. I was taking uh, injections. I, I don't, I can't remember if I had a pen or not. I, I all I remember because it's been about ten years, but uh, I had vials. I just remember drawing insulin out of vials, so I just brought a bunch of insulin with me. So a little bit old school, you know, but. In a way, there was less I could break while I was down there too, which is probably a good thing. What I'm picturing now is the fact that you were probably in minus 50 degrees Celsius temperature. And obviously, mm-hmm. as as we know, ins- if insulin freezes, it can't be used. So yeah. how often were you kind of exposed to that cold where you were running the risk of potentially your insulin freezing? Yeah, uh, most of the time it wasn't because uh, I'd keep it in a, a refrigerator inside a building. So on my daily life, it wasn't too bad. But if I was going to be outside all day, then yeah, there, there was an issue with that. Like um, a big one that came up was part of my job was I was a, a privilege where I got to fly out to some base camps that were a ways away from uh, our main station where scientists would be out there doing their their studies and i'd get to go out there and do some health and safety inspections and the only way to get there would be by helicopter but to get on a helicopter you had to take survival training and the training we did it was called happy camper it's kind of a joke but (laughs) they would take you out on the big ice sheet outside of mcmurdo and it's just a big flat ice sheet and you can see the mountains off in the distance and then they train us on how to survive, like if you had a, a helicopter crash or whatever. And you go out and you dig out uh, blocks of snow. You build up snow walls, teaching you how to put up tents and how to build other types of shelters and everything. And then spend the night out there. So it'd be about two days of being outside. And during that training, I remember it was about probably below zero degrees Fahrenheit. So I think that'd be like negative 20 Celsius or so the whole time and you'd have uh full cold weather gear like a, a big down parka hat thick gloves and boots and all that kind of stuff but i remember just being uh really concerned about my insulin i was thinking if this stuff freezes i don't know what i'm going to do so i had to keep it up against my skin underneath all my clothes and trying to keep it warm and uh, i'd pull it out just real quickly to draw up some insulin and give myself a shot and then i put it back against my skin and keep it there and that was always a pain because i mean i'd have to pull it out i have to draw up some insulin my hands would be cold and then trying to strip off clothes like four layers of clothes to get to my skin to give myself a <laughs> shot and the other thing i didn't think about was my blood sugar meter when i was out there where it was in a little case and I had it under my jacket, but it wasn't right against my skin. And so then when I go to test my blood sugar, it wouldn't work because it was too cold. And so I'd have to take it out of the case and keep that against my skin the whole time too, to keep it warm enough. And then the, the challenge with that was my fingers would get really cold too. I don't know if you have it on, but like, I don't have great circulation in my extremities sometimes and my hands and feet will get cold a lot easier than my core. It was just, I had to think about it a lot the whole time during this training and um, was able to do it. It's just kind of learning through that too of, of what works and what doesn't. And then the other thing when I was out there was, you know, think about it, like you're working hard because digging uh, out snow and everything, that's hard work. But also being in that cold, your body burns a lot more energy trying to stay warm. And it would just cause blood sugar drops. And I was just having to treat that a lot too. And 
uh, there's just, you know, all those different challenges there, but um, totally doable. Just, just more to have to think about, you know, and um, I just remember that testing my blood sugar was probably the hardest part, even more than dealing with the insulin <laughs> with the cold fingers, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, I'm, I'm kind of relating it back now. It's in no way similar to, to survival training in the Antarctic. But when I, before I had my CGM and when I was playing football, say if I had like training on a cold Tuesday night in Ireland, I would be checking my blood sugar, say during the training or halftime in a game and my fingers would be so cold. And like you said, it was because my fingers were so cold, there wasn't much blood in the fingertips. Yeah. And then you're kind of, you're almost squeezing your finger off trying to, trying to get blood out. And then on top of that, what I didn't realize, you know, the first few years was the fact that, well, it took me a a while to realize was that your blood glucose monitor doesn't work in the cold. So I'm at the side of the pitch my blood glucose monitor isn't even turned on and I'm here trying to squeeze my fingers off, trying trying to get blood out. <laughs> so for a few times in those situations, I had to basically prick another part of my hand to try and get blood. So oh, yeah, that's smart. was there ever a time where you had to kind of like use an alternative body part to prick to try and get blood out to check your bloods? Or was no, it just trying to warm your fingers? Yeah, it was just trying to warm them up. That's a smart move, you know. I just, I, it was always like trying to warm myself up with my core because it's the only place that seemed to stay really warm. So I just had to stick my hands on my stomach and try to warm them up <laughs> before I could do the test. Yeah, as if managing blood sugar wasn't <laughs> as difficult already, yeah. let alone a, a tent at the Antarctic. Yep. With your insulin vials, Brian, when you were out on that survival training for the the one or two days, as you say, did you just bring one single vial with you? Because again, I'm, I have my kind of paranoid diabetic brain on overdrive here thinking, what if you dropped a vial and the (laughs) insulin's gone? Yeah, it's probably a good question. No, I did. I I had uh, one vial of fast acting and one vial of slow acting, long-term insulin. That was it. <laughs> that probably would have been a smart move. <laughs> well, it obviously worked out well for you, yeah. which is the main thing. Can I ask you, what were people at home thinking of you being out there for the four-month trips? Yeah, they thought it was all – everyone thought it was pretty amazing. Uh, they, they always wanted to see pictures and hear stories and everything. I, I get questions about the diabetes a lot of times. It's like, how are you dealing with that? Are you sure you want to do that? Uh, what if something bad happens while you're down there? But mostly it was pretty positive. And people are just fascinated with it. Want to know what's going on down there. What's life like down there, you know? And did you have much contact to home while you were there? Yeah, yeah. So I think it was about six or seven hour time difference. And we had internet. It was really slow internet, but we had it. And then you can make phone calls and... There was like a three-second delay when you're talking, and at first it's a little weird. It's kind of like talking on a walkie-talkie, but you get used to it. So, yeah, you're still able to keep in touch, but at the same time, you also feel like separated from the, the normal world when you're down there, from whatever their lives are going on and whatever the news is in the world and everything. It's, there's definitely kind of a, a feeling of separation at the same time. Did you find that pleasant in a way, to be kind of separated from... The busy life that you had 
Uh, not to be separated from your family. Yeah. I don't mean. I don't mean that. But just <laughs> to, I suppose, have that time away in in a sense. I I don't know if I would um, because the life down there was actually really hectic. So it, it's kind of overwhelming. Just your your life down there, anyways. Um, I'd say like more than anything, I just miss people when I was down there, miss the the relationships with people where you just, you feel a little separated from them while you're down there. Um, I guess it was nice though, in a way where it makes you appreciate it when you come home, just, oh yeah, I like it here. I'm glad to be back. And it, it's probably healthy to get away for a little bit and uh, be able to see that. You mentioned that you were burning more calories because your body was so cold. Yeah. And obviously that's going to happen. If your body's trying to keep you warm, essentially you're going to be burning more calories. What sort of hypo treatment did you have with you? Because I can just picture you in that tent. Yeah. And there's like, there's so many things that can be more difficult checking your bloods, keeping your, your insulin warm. Well, not warm, but not freezing, not dropping your vial. And then potentially having a, a low blood sugar. Yeah, uh, I always make sure that I have something to treat hypos. Uh, I never want to go anywhere without it. So when I went out there, I had lots of candy. I brought lots of you know hard candy with me and a whole pocket full. So if I needed it, I always had plenty. I always made sure I could eat it quickly. Uh, I can feel a low. You know, fortunately, I'm pretty sensitive to feeling lows coming on. And uh, so I always had plenty to, to treat it. Um, one of the challenges doing that, that training though, was just your normal food because it, it's just like all we have were oatmeal and those little, you know, freeze dried camping packets where you add hot water to and mix them in and that's it. So you never do on that part too. Like what, how much, how many carbs am I eating? How much should I be taking? And it's just a lot of guessing with all that stuff. And uh, just try to do my best and then have that sugar as kind of a backup in case I have too much insulin and be able to get the blood sugar back up, but never go out without something that, to treat those lows. Absolutely not. And it reminds me of a story. Uh, well, um, somebody I met a few, and about two years ago, I was down in my local pharmacy picking up my insulin. And there was an older gentleman there and he was obviously a type one diabetic too, because he heard me get my insulin and his wife was there too. And she said, Oh, you type one diabetic. I said, I am indeed. And she said, Oh, my husband is. So I got chatting to the two of them and just small talk asking how he's getting on, what he, what he does, how he manages his bloods, how he exercises, these kind of things. And he said, he goes for long mountain walks by himself. And the only hypo treatment that he brings is a digestive biscuit. Oh, gosh, that sounds scary. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, I was almost shaking with fear just, just listening yeah. to the story. But you were obviously well prepared out there. I, I think you have to get caught out a few times with lows and not enough to treat them there, or you, you learn, like, I'm never going out with, without enough supplies, you know. <laughs> have you had any of those incidents before? Oh, sure. Sure. When I was younger, I'd go out on hikes and not bring enough and have a low and just kind of, kind of, I don't know, crawl back almost trying to get back to the car and then just realize what a mistake that was. And after a few of those, I'd learned to never do that again. Do you feel that obviously your years of living with type one diabetes leading up to 
the South Pole trips made it easier for you to manage the whole guessing side of things. It's, you almost instinctively can calculate carbs and food. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you take all the, the your experience over the years with you. Um, part of it is just that mindset of like, man, I know I can do this. I, I can figure this out. I've, I've done a lot of other stuff in my life and there's just one more challenge. That's totally something I can do. And, uh, you know, also over there is just learning to, to roll with the punches when things don't go perfect with your diabetes, you just deal with it. And, I, I always I have confidence in myself that I can and uh, eventually we'll get my blood sugar under control and it's never going to be an emergency or anything like that. I know I can just handle whatever comes up. Mm. Is there a defining moment for you living with type 1 diabetes that comes to mind over your 30 odd years with the condition? Um, yeah, I think I had one experience I think that kind of changed my mindset was I just graduated from college and I got a job where one of the things I had to do with my job was to drive a, a big truck and to drive the big truck I needed to get a commercial driver's license and one of the requirements to get a commercial driver's license is you have to pass a physical so I went to the doctor did my full physical and I, I'm super healthy at this point so I'm thinking no issues. And then at the end, the doctor says, hey, we got a problem. It says on the paperwork that type 1 diabetics just can't get commercial driver's licenses. And there, there's no wiggle room on it at all. And I'm thinking, what the heck? Like, <laughs> why would somebody make this rule? And I even called a lawyer and the lawyer says, no, nah, there's no way around it. And it like really bothered me. I'm, I'm just thinking somebody made a rule against all diabetics that we can't have a commercial driver's license and I'm pretty much being denied employment because of my diabetes, even though I'm totally healthy. And I'm thinking other, I've seen lots of truck drivers that don't look very healthy, but they're singling out diabetes and just felt really unfair. So I ended up just going to a different doctor and not disclosing that I had diabetes. I didn't feel great about not being totally honest, but uh, I just did it and I passed all the tests. I even tested my blood sugar and everything. I passed everything. Um, and I got my commercial driver's license and I was able to do my job. And it showed like it was the first time in my life where I thought people are going to tell me at times I can't do something because of diabetes. And other than a few points, a few instances, that's not for somebody else to decide. I don't think I think it's up for me to decide if I want to do something. And if I want to do it badly enough, I can figure out a way to do it. And shouldn't be somebody else deciding that. And I never really thought of it before that in that way. But then, you know, I've lived my life like that ever since that, um, you know, it, it, I, I always decide if I want to do something with my diabetes or not. Other people can question it at times, but it's up to me to make that decision. Yeah, I love that. And it, it's something that I'm a big believer in, too, is that, yes, of course, we have this condition, but it shouldn't be something that holds us back regardless yeah. of what it is we want to do. The important thing is we're on top of it. The important thing is we can take care of it and manage it. And then essentially we can do anything we want. Absolutely. And I love that you outlined that and it's relevant to 
a good few new listeners that we have who have have reached out to me who are newly diagnosed diabetics and I know that they're going to get a lot of value from hearing from somebody who has done so much as you have and live with it so long but if there was one piece of advice Brian you could offer to a newly diagnosed diabetic who's listening right now what's the first thing that would come to mind uh, well I'd I'd say you, you're gonna you're gonna have ups and downs with diabetes it, there's gonna be days where it's just it's it's brutal right you're just trying to get control of it where you feel like uh, you just can't get it right or you're wondering what your new life is gonna be what your limitations are and just try to stay positive and know that it's gonna get better you're gonna get better at controlling it and you can do whatever you want ultimately if you can figure out how to take care of your diabetes and there, there shouldn't really be any limitations on your life. And also don't be hard on yourself it, on those days where it's bad, where you, you're just struggling with your diabetes. Don't take it personally. It doesn't have anything to do with your personal self, uh, self-worth or anything like that. You know, it's just part of dealing with a, a disease that, you know, that's life and just be positive. Don't, don't let it get you down. You know, it's going to be okay. And you can have an awesome, fulfilling life. Yeah. And the good thing, <laughs> the good thing about diabetes is that even if we do have an awful day and even if we have a day where our bloods are all over the place and we feel exhausted physically and mentally, the good thing about it is tomorrow we can reset. And yep. it's almost like our blood sugar in a way will react almost immediately to things we do to calm it down and if we look at each day as something of yeah okay today wasn't the best or today was awful the good thing is you can reset the the whole thing back again tomorrow yep i I always think the same thing right like i think okay today i lost the battle today but tomorrow's a new day i'm gonna go to bed i'm gonna wake up i know it's gonna be better than the, the last day was you know it just let it go yeah it uh gives you a nice ability to just keep rolling forward, roll with the punches, as you say. But Brian, type 1 diabetes obviously isn't just a massive part of your life. Your wife is also type 1 diabetic. Yes, yes. My wife, Ashley, is a type 1 diabetic. She's, other than an awesome wife, she's also (laughs) great to have as a a partner with type 1 diabetes. Uh, We also have a healthy 7-year-old son who doesn't have diabetes, fortunately. Uh, And... Having Ashley in my life has just been a, a major blessing. Uh, I mean, when I'm like feeling shaky and sweaty from a low or I, I've been having high blood sugars all day and I'm feeling like garbage from it, she knows intimately what I've been going through and she can give me great support with that. And then vice versa, I can do the same for her. And it's, it's a level of understanding that somebody without diabetes could never have. So it's just awesome to have. And uh, side note, it's also nice if either of us are ever low on our diabetic supplies, we can always borrow from the other person. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And were you both diabetic when you first met? We were. And we didn't meet because of it. We uh, we met on an online dating website and neither of us, put in there that we had diabetes and we even went on a date and never disclosed it. And then we no were talking way. on the phone 
And she told me she had type 1 diabetes. I'm like, what? And I told her I did too, and she wouldn't believe me. She thought I was messing with her. And I had to give her some of the diabetic lingo, talking about my A1C and different types of insulins before I got her to believe me. And uh, it's, it's just kind of funny like that. It was either chance or providence or whatever, but it was uh, pretty cool to, to have met a diabetic. And also, like, I never even had a friend that was a diabetic before. I, I'd known a few people here and there with it, but I'd never had anyone I was even close with. And all of a sudden, I had my wife. It's pretty cool to have. Yeah, that's that's crazy. So how many dates did you guys go on before you both found out that you were diabetic? Yeah. It was one day. And then I think it was probably a couple phone calls before it came out. And uh, it, I think it speaks a little bit to our different personalities, too, because she was the one that brought it up. And when I think about um, it, it's kind of cool, I think, that when I see how we each thought about our diabetes a little bit differently, had different outlooks on how we approached it. And uh, it's partly because of our personalities and I think partly because of when each of us were diagnosed with diabetes. Like I was diagnosed 30 years ago when I was 12 years old and then she was diagnosed when she was a baby. And when I was diagnosed at 12, that's right at an age when a kid really, really doesn't want to be different from everyone else. And then all of a sudden I had diabetes uh, there was nobody else in my school with it and everybody knew I had it. And I was having to test my blood sugar and take shots and eat snacks during the day or treat lows. And I just hated being different from the other kids. And all I wanted to do was fit in. So it just became normal for me to try to hide that I had diabetes from people. And I just, I'd never tell people about it, that I had it unless it, there was no way of getting around it. And I wasn't even comfortable calling myself a diabetic for years. I, I'd say I had diabetes, but I never liked to say I'm a diabetic. It, it just felt negative in my head. It wasn't, a lot of that wasn't a healthy way to be looking at it. And it took me years to kind of come to uh, a full acceptance of being a diabetic and being totally fine with that and comfortable with it. But, I, you know, I also think that some positives came out of the way I grew up like that because I learned that I could still do anything that my friends could do. And I was so determined to not make my diabetes part of how people saw me that I would figure out how to do whatever my friends were doing like without diabetes ever even being a problem at all, you know? And so it taught me how to deal with it. Like I could do anything and I could deal with diabetes and not slow down while I'm doing it. it I think that part of it was probably a pretty good lesson for me growing up that I, I still um, carry with me. And, my wife, on the other hand, was di diagnosed when she was a baby. So, like, it's all she's ever known. And she's she's comfortable with it. She's comfortable being a diabetic and being known as that. So, she'd be the one to tell me that she had diabetes. I never would have told her when we were dating until probably even later than that. <laughs> and when we were dating, she'd just tell people, hey, yeah, we're both diabetic. And inside, I'd be feeling, like, mortified. I'm like, why the heck are you telling people this? Like, <laughs> they don't need to know. And... Uh, I learned to respect how comfortable she was with it. And I think it, it was really good for me to see that side of it. And uh, I learned a lot from that to kind of come towards her on that, that way. And I think between the two of us, we've been a, a, a good balancing influence on each other with our diabetes, kind of coming from those two different sides and, you know, being able to balance each other with that and uh, learn from the other person how they do it. Yeah, that's... 
so it's it's unreal that you both went on a date and yeah. neither of you realized that you, that you were diabetic. I love that. No, she said she even uh, tested her blood sugar on the table. I didn't even notice. <laughs> you were just staring into her eyes, Brian. Exactly. <laughs> so clueless. <laughs> what I found, even from my own experience, is that you you just learn more from other diabetics than you do anybody else. Because yeah. as we both know, unless you have the condition yourself, or let's say you have a child who has diabetes, you don't really understand it. And I have found that I've learned so much more from other people than even doctors or nurses and, and things like that. I can only imagine what you must have learned with your wife being a diabetic. So how did you both learn from each other? Because I know every diabetic has the same goal each day, which is to have our blood sugar as stable as possible, in range as much as possible. But how we do that can be so different. So was there a, a change in your management based off how she did things or a change in her management based off how you did things? It's a good question. You'd think so. Um, yeah, the thing is, like, we're all so individual in the way our bodies work and uh, how we like to do things in life. So it's funny, like, most of the time, if the other person's struggling and, you know, we try to give them advice, usually they're like, eh, I don't know, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I got my own way of doing it. And uh, we don't always, I don't know, like, I'll say, yeah, you should do this, try this. And she's like, no, that, I don't think that'll work for me. And it's more like the emotional support that, that we get from each other, I think, more than anything else. Uh, if uh, I'm, I have low blood sugar, I'm shaking and stuff, she'll give me the time to treat that and respect that. And, you know, let me take care of that and know, you know, how hard that is to be going through. And, yeah, but it does seem like most of the time we'll, we'll give each other advice. The other person's like, yeah, I guess that's all right. But actually, I kind of like how I'm doing it. <laughs> My way is better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned there, and I want to pick this out because I know, again, it's going to be relevant to a lot of the listeners. You mentioned earlier that when you were growing up with diabetes, kind of through your your young teenage years and your your teenage years themselves, that obviously you don't want to be different. And you weren't necessarily confident around your diabetes. And then you did become confident with it. Was there anything in particular that led to you growing in that confidence? Or was it just gradually over time? Well, <clears throat> I think when I look back on it, uh, diabetes treatment was seemed very different when I was first diagnosed 30 years ago. It was a lot. There's a lot of fear involved with it, it seemed like where the technology wasn't as good. There weren't CGMs. The insulin wasn't as good. And doctors would just give me like fear stories and give my parents the same thing of if uh, it wasn't like, hey, if you control your blood sugar and, uh, you know, take care of your diabetes, you're going to feel amazing and you're going to be able to do anything you want. It was more like, hey, there, there are kids your age that I – I have in my practice here who didn't take care of their diabetes and they had to go to the hospital and they almost died and all these like fear stories and it never worked on me. But 
I get a lot of that growing up for some reason from doctors and it, it wasn't a lot of positive things and it, it had to kind of just come from me, um, just not wanting to be different. And I think uh, as I got older, I just got more confident in myself as a person. And so part of that is just being comfortable with who I was and comfortable with having diabetes. And then ultimately my wife really helped me out with that when I saw how comfortable she was with it. And that spilled over into my life quite a bit. She's been a great influence with that. Yeah, it was obviously a, a massive advantage for both of you to meet and share yeah. those experiences. And again, that ties into the whole idea of the importance of being part of a community with it, even yeah. online, because diabetes can be such an isolating condition. You can feel like I'm the only person in the world that has this thing. Yep. So when you see other people out there, even if they're halfway across the world dealing with the same things, it makes you feel a lot better about it too. Absolutely. I have one more question for you, Brian. Yeah. And I know you know what this question is because I know you listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. But if you had the opportunity to thank diabetes for something, what would that be? Yeah, that's a great question. I like the wording of thanking diabetes. I think if you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, I wouldn't have had any idea how to answer it. But over the years, I've been trying to think about what makes me happy in life and what what I do to improve my happiness and everything. And I realized I never thought about diabetes before with that. I'd always thought of diabetes as just this disease that I have to deal with. And it doesn't get me down, but it's it's not a positive influence in my life. And I started realizing that it, it actually does have some positives to it, a lot of them. And so I love that thought, Owen. And some thoughts that, that come up with that, that it, I can thank diabetes for are building up my perseverance, building my empathy for others and myself. And what, I mean, when you think about it, everybody's dealing with some kind of hardship in life, some harder than others, but everybody has something they're dealing with. And it, it's good to, to have empathy for other people where you go through hard things and you, you can empathize with other people that are going through hard things. And some other positives I think are prior prioritizing my health. And then I think a big one is humility that I love to exercise and be physically fit, but no matter how healthy I look on the outside, everyone else, that diabetes forces me every day to face my physical frailty and limitations. And I think that it's a humbling experience and also a positive experience. I love that. Beautifully put, I have to say. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate your time. Is there anywhere people can reach you if they have any comments, questions, or even want to know more about your crazy experiences in, in the uh, South Pole? Yeah, I guess I guess email is probably the other way. I don't have Twitter or Instagram or anything. Uh, do you want to, are you able to put it in the show notes or would you rather I just... I can put it in the show notes. Okay. For sure. I'm sure people will want to know... Uh, a bit more about that too and yeah. maybe for thinking about it themselves <laughs> absolutely i mean there's a lot more with antarctica too you know that people could ask there, there was a lot more that went with that you know i could i mean one thing that comes to mind real quick owen was um even antarctica tried to limit me from going down at, at one point where um i'd been down a couple times and then 
the medical director in a meeting said that he was going to stop allowing type 1 diabetics to go down to Antarctica anymore because he thought it was too much of a liability. And at the time, I actually didn't want to go down again because I'd been down twice. I'd done all the adventure part of it. And, uh, and I was also dating my now wife and I didn't want to leave. And I thought, there's my out. Diabetes is my out. But then I realized pretty quickly, like, that's just going to bug the heck out of me if I let diabetes be the reason. So had a long conversation with him about it and explained everything that I'd done when I was down there and how it's totally doable. And we came to a compromise that as long as your A1C is below 7%, you could still go down. And uh, I felt like it kind of fell on my sword with going down for the third time. <laughs> and, but at the same time, I didn't regret it. And I, I was also happy that other diabetics wouldn't have to be limited from going down to that, that would want to go, you know? And so, you know, just, I just want to emphasize again for people with diabetes, like you can do it. Um, you can do whatever you want really. And sometimes there's going to be those roadblocks, but you can figure out a way around it. Oftentimes just, just be positive with it. Absolutely. And you've certainly done your, done your part to clear yeah. the path for diabetics going down to the South pole. Yeah, I'm sure plenty of others have been down there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate your time and, and thanks for coming on. It was great to chat with you. Good talk to you, Alan. Thanks. Take it easy. All right, bye-bye. Another big, big thank you to Brian for coming on. I appreciate his time and I appreciate the insight and experience that he gave us. It's certainly a different environment to be managing your blood sugar in the south pole compared to ireland for myself or wherever you're listening around the world so it's it's nice to hear that no matter where you are no matter what sort of routine or what weather you're dealing with as long as you have that good overall understanding of your diabetes you can go anywhere you want you can do anything you want so again thank you brian much appreciated and i don't think I'll ever take for granted the blood at the top of my finger when I try to check my blood <laughs> with a finger prick. So thanks for that too. And thank you for listening. I do always say I appreciate you listening, but I do greatly appreciate you listening. I understand how people's time is very valuable. And I love that you get to share this time with us. You get to share this time with me for the, the hour or 45 minutes that it might be in the day. I hope you benefit from it and can take something from it to learn more about your diabetes and make your diabetic life that bit easier. And as always, if you have any stories, if you have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out. Me and Graham love when we get the emails. There's a lot coming in. We have a lot to go through and I love doing those episodes, specifically going through those emails and questions. For any more information about me, what I do, the podcast, Diabetes in Itself. You can follow me on Instagram. You can join my email list. You can join my diabetic Facebook group. There's loads you can do. There's loads you can be involved with, and there's loads of other people you can learn from. There's a lot of people in the same position as us living with type 1 around the world in these groups. So be sure to check out the link in the description. Get involved with those if you like. And as always... Have a great week, have a great day, and look after those blood sugars. <clears throat> I'll leave you with a small voice crack. Take it easy.